It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We welcome to the show an old friend, Doug Holtz-Eakin, president of the American Action Forum, a former director of the Congressional Budget Office. Dougie Holtz-Eakin, how are you? Thanks for coming on. Uh, I'm well, Larry. Thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure. Yes. You know, I've been um, thinking about you trying to get you on the, the TV or the radio because I read someplace that your group had estimated new regulations in uh, Biden's first year came to something like, and you tell me if this is right or wrong, something like $200 billion or slightly over $200 billion for new regulations in just the first year alone. Is that, was that the analysis that you all made? Uh, yeah. Um, we've got uh, a group that uh, tracks every regulation issued by the federal government. And uh, uh, we have every, all the data going back to 2005. Uh, and I'll tell you, uh, you, well, first, let me thank you for your service, regardless of party, regardless of president. People should understand just what you sacrificed in doing that job. And I want to say thank you. It's thank just you, a tremendous tremendous job and here's what you accomplished um the the obama administration issued a costly regulation at an average rate of 1.1 a day every day for eight straight years and they ran up 890 billion dollars in regulatory costs Mm. and the trump administration got in and out with about 23 billion total over four years Mm. unbelievable Mm. so i said it couldn't be done and you did it it was fantastic the biden administration has uh racked up 201 billion dollars of regulatory costs in the first year, and it is the most expensive first year of any president we've, we've studied. So I'm, I'm quite nervous about the trajectory uh, because there's every reason to believe that with not a great chance of getting any through, through the Congress, they're going to do everything by executive uh, action, and it's going to be an extraordinary burden on the economy. See, I think that's a, you know, the regulatory stuff always somehow is viewed as less sexy, Doug, you know because yeah. not as sexy as taxes or spending or Fed or whatever. But it's really important, and it affects the supply side of the economy, and it affects incentives uh, to work and produce. And so <laughs> $201 billion, first of all, let's establish, $201 billion in new regs in, in the first year is a lot. <laughs> is that fair? It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and you're exactly right. I think of these as just stealth taxes. Yeah. You don't see them. You don't know they're out there. Yeah. But they're affecting every decision businesses make. And one of the decisions they're going to make is we're not going to hire somebody or we're not going to invest in a new uh, uh, plant and we're not going to get uh, upgrade our technologies. And, and I, I was always amazed that the Obama guy said, oh, this is the kind of bad recovery you get when you come out of a, a, a big recession caused by a, a wealth bubble bursting. No. If you put up $890 billion of headwind, mm-hmm. you don't grow. And if we go at $200 billion a year, we're not going to grow. I mean, it's a, it's a real concern. Where is the predominantly, is the, are there specific areas that, um, that were hit the hardest on these, on these $201 billion in new regs? Uh, it's, the, it's the energy sector. And, um, and you know, a- anything that uses fossil fuels, cars in particular, uh, they got one round of regs on carbon emissions from cars. They're going to go for another round on cafe standards and you know this is just uh, uh just an uh undisguised assault on the use of fossil fuels and uh they they 
they argue you need to do this for climate change, but uh, anyone who's studied the economics of climate change knows that uh, for decades, all fossil fuels will still be in the mix and that the bridge fuel is actually natural gas. So they, mm. they, they've got the economics of this wrong, and, and it's going to hurt the economy. It's going to hurt it bad. Well, I think it already, to some extent, it already is. Are you familiar with this um, social cost of carbon metric that they're using? <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, I am. So this is how you um, uh, stack the regulatory deck. Uh, you you say, look, uh, the cost of a, a of a uh, carbon going into the atmosphere is, let's say, two hundred dollars a ton. That way, anytime you you do a regulation that reduces the use of a, a, a carbon fuel, you get to claim a benefit of two hundred dollars for every ton that you uh, stop going into the air. And you can make almost any regulation pass the benefit cost test if you, if you move that number around enough. And that's, and that's exactly what they're up to. Well, what I understand, I, I've talked to Andrew Wheeler, who's the former EPA. Actually, I've got um, David Bernhardt coming on this show later, former Interior Secretary. But the, the thing is, that it's like they're making stuff up. So as I understand it, they go look at some back data like over centuries, and then they try to measure upstream, downstream, and they try to measure the global. In other words, Dougie, they're measuring stuff that can't, that virtually can't be measured, and the intent is, as you said, uh, they're just trying to stack the deck against any carbon uh, increases. Uh, yeah, this is this is only one part of what um, this administration is up to. One of the very first things President Biden did was sign an executive order on quote modernizing the regulatory state where he ordered OMB to find a way to get into the, the calculations un, unmeasured and uncounted benefits. Hmm. Well, that's just crazy. You just That just says, I decide that this is good enough for the climate that it's worth doing. It, it, it takes all the discipline out of the, the regulatory process and, and anything can pass. And, and they, they do it with the social cost of carbon. They're doing it with this executive order. And um, it, it's because they, they really don't believe in the private sector and they don't care what damage they do to it. It's a really troubling situation. Yeah, I mean um, in the regulatory community, Doug, is this widely accepted? This um, social no, cost no. of carbon? Uh, it, it, the concept would be fine mm -hmm. and if it was done the way the regulatory process is supposed to work, which is gather evidence, do it across the administration identify the, the best estimate, then put it out to the public for notice and, and, and get comments on it. Take those comments seriously and, and fix what's uh, wrong and, and indefensible and come up with an, a number that the country as a whole can, can agree on. But they, they, they skip those steps. You can't do it that way. You have, mm. to, you have to really take the regulatory process seriously and let people weigh in on what you're proposing to do. Mm. Um. Doug Holtzikin, was there a second rank besides the um, energy carbon area in this $200 billion regulatory assault? Well, it's going to be uh, uh, the, the leading edge of all sorts of uh, regs coming out of the Energy Department on essentially efficiency standards, because if mm -hmm. you don't use any energy, you don't have demand for carbon fuels. And so uh, we'll see those. Those have already already. Uh, begun uh, doing those rulemaking, and, and we'll see it across the government on climate. Uh, they're going to go into the labor market and redo a lot of things that um, the Obama administration did and the Trump administration undid. Some really 
damaging joint employer rules, which get which essentially right. make the franchise model go That's away. Right. I think right. they declare a lot of independent contractors to be employees, make sure they that they have to pay benefits. That mm-hmm. and in the process, they try to restore the labor market of 1955, which is just a crazy notion. <laughs> it's flexible and you know, that. you know. <laughs> I <love> that. <laughs> Right. When labor dominated everything. Yeah. Unions yeah. dominated everything. I'm all for labor. I'm just not for these kinds of stacked it, stack it against uh, individual work of choice. Doug, put your CBO hat on for us. Um, what's your take on this latest um, uh, omnibus uh, discretionary oh. spending bill, $1.5 trillion plus earmarks? Look, this is, this is a disgrace. Um, it's it's just a big bloated bill. You know how this works. You have twelve appropriations bills you're supposed to do. If you do it this way, you you spend more than the sum of what the original twelve would have been for sure because everything gets jammed in there. They they brought back the earmarks and there are 150 pages of earmarks for the labor and HHS uh, segment of the bill alone. So that's mind-boggling what's going to be in there, and and the totals, um, you know. Are, are much bigger than we need uh, because they hold the defense department hostage and every dollar that they need and look at the world situation the defense department's going to need some funding they they get another buck buck and a half in the discretionary side on, on domestic issues so there's a it's a lot of exce- excess spending in this not not the way you should, we should be doing business yeah there's no discipline to it you know they don't even you go back to um my friend and mentor phil graham i mean suppose you put a target out there let's say domestic spending, why not have a sequester, at least a sequester threat or some kind of caps or something that would impose discipline? I don't know exactly what it would be. I've been in and out of the budget game for a long time, so have you. I mean, there has to be a penalty threat someplace. There has to be caps that are enforced someplace. Right now it's fiscal insanity. I I couldn't agree more. The trouble is that you can't tie the hands of a future Congress. So if Congress puts in place a set of caps and restrictions, the next Congress can just vote to ignore them. And they do that on a regular basis. Mm. They say, you know, this is a big problem. We're going to do better in the future. We're going to put these caps on. We're going to make you pay for things if, if you have more spending. And then they take a vote and wipe it all out. It's, uh, it's, it's something I've watched for two decades, and it's, it really just hasn't changed. And, you know, Really across party lines. So you have our, our dear friend Kevin Hassett, mm-hmm. but you also have Larry Summers or Jason Furman, all pretty much arguing that uh, deficit spending is a principal cause of inflation. What do you think about that? Oh, that that's dead right. Um, uh, Larry Summers and I had a real disagreement about this when they passed the uh, $2 trillion stimulus last march it was uh it was a year ago yesterday and mm. i thought what we'd see is what we'd seen in may of 2020 you know with, with everyone all locked down you take that money and you stick it in your savings account and then you look at your savings account it's getting zero so you think hmm i'll go get myself a robin hood app and i'll buy myself some cryptos and maybe a little GameStop. and pretty soon we'll, <laughs> we've got asset bubbles all over the economy because we're just pushing uh the fiscal stimulus into asset markets and we already got the monetary stimulus in there and I thought that's what we'd see. We'd, uh, but I was wrong because the vaccines rolled out and the economy opened up and people took it right out of those accounts and spent it. And, and that's where the inflation came up. There's no doubt about it. One of the things you can do there, it's really interesting. They, they always say, 
it's not us. Look around the world. You have a record high inflation in Europe and places. Well, that's true. So if you look at the data for 2021, Europe uh, consumer price inflation went up by about a percentage point every quarter, went from zero to four percent. U.S. Okay, so we we got about one percent in the first quarter, but we got three times that in the second quarter, right after they sent out all the checks. Yeah. We just skyrocketed, and and it's 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 as plain as day in the data, and and denied is nuts. They made the mistake. Now we got to fix it, and that means stop doing it. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting to me, you know, honest people in both political parties have now come around to that view. I personally am paying more attention to spending and deficit spending than I ever have in my, in my career. I, I, it's, it's something I've worried about a long time, as you know. Yes. I, I, I think we're really in, in, in a bad place right now. And, and I don't think they even understand the problem, the, the on-the-ground problem. If you – if you look at the top line, it's 7.9% over the past year. That's bad inflation. If you look at the bundle of food, energy, and and shelter, that's more than 50% of the typical American family budget. Mm-hmm. That's going up at 8.4%. Mm-hmm. So that's what people are seeing on the ground every day. And you can't fool them by saying, ignore food and energy. Look at the core inflation. No, they have to pay those bills. And, and, and this is a big problem uh, right now. I don't know how this is going to end, Doug. I fear it's going to end very badly. Um, and it didn't have to be this way. You know, one of the things I tried to, I've, I've learned is that my way of thinking about things, you know, I'm a trained economist, do the analytics, that doesn't sing to a lot of politicians. So I went back and I looked. In 1951, the U.S. economy was growing at 10.5%. Think about that, 10.5%. And then we got into the Korean War, and we raised government spending by 50%. Well, that's called excess stimulus in a hot economy that's exactly what they did uh last march and what it did in 1951 is produce six percentage point jump in inflation guess what same thing (laughs) i mean learn the lesson of history i mean that's all you need to do but if the administration is basically in denial which they are you heard it again yesterday in biden's he was answering some questions blah 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 if you're in denial about it if you don't own it uh, it's going to be impossible to to deal with it. And um, this modern monetary theory, Douglas Holtzegan, <laughs> that's what they're basing it on, modern monetary yeah. theory, which is a wonderful thing. You can drink as much as you want, vodka, scotch, bourbon, it doesn't matter. N- nothing bad will come of it. You can spend as much as you want. You can print as much money as you like, and nothing bad will come of it, Doug. And in 2020, they all thought they be- that they should believe it. And one year later, look at what we got. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I, this is one where the facts are going to just uh, defeat the notion on the ground. Because you just can't look at the world that we have out in the U.S. US and around the globe and believe that this is true. Every country's going to have trouble now. All right. Doug Holtzikin is president of the American Action Former, uh, Forum. And he's a former director of the CBO, and he's a very old friend. Dougie, thank you for time Saturday morning. You're terrific, buddy. Talk take soon. care, Larry. You betcha. Folks, I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. We're going to take a little break, and I'll be right back on the other side. Please stick around. Larry Kudlow. 